Thanks for downloading this episode of the Shoestring Tackle Podcast. Subscribe today to find our show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn, and always at shoestringtackle.com. Now, on to the show. Every time we get ready to play, I just want to throw up. Uh, my office is at 250 North Washington. Anytime you want to meet me there, you call me back on the air, you tell me what time and when, and I will whip your ass. You just witnessed something I don't know that I've ever seen in my entire life. They just called that team the winner. And then, whoa, 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 Come on back here. And then they called us the winner. I'm going to tell you right now, as an experience, damn it, I'm going to enjoy that one as much as I hate to admit it. Illegal contact. Senkutsu elbow thrust. Oimowatsu roundhouse lunge kick to the quarterback. Takatani answer block to the... Shit, never mind. 15 yards. First down. The question isn't what are we going to do, the question is what aren't we going to do. We're the renegades of on-demand audio. This is the Shoestring Tackle Podcast alongside Bleacher Report feature columnist Brandon Meller and Mike Sage. I'm Ryan Pincy. A big week for the Florida State Seminoles once again. The Noles knock off their arch rival, the Florida Gators, move to an undefeated regular season of 12-0, yet continue to fall in the College Football Committee rankings, now settling in at number four in the polls. One week to go, a battle this weekend in Charlotte for the ACC Championship against a red-hot Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets team. And really everyone thinks that as long as FSU takes care of business and wins that game, they will make it into the playoff. Now, what seeding they will be in is a completely different story. I want to open it up with uh, with a little conversation on this, uh, Brandon and Mike, before we get on to talk about last week's game against Florida and then really what most are tuning in to listen to is a preview of the Georgia Tech game this Saturday. Uh, the more I've read about this, and Mike, I saw you had quite a few things to say on Twitter yesterday, Brandon, you as well, when the, when the committee announced uh, their decision that FSU would drop down to number four. I had text messages coming from people all over the countryside, kind of this what is going on? And the more I think about it, I really have a feeling that this comes down to one thing and one thing only, ticket sales. They do not want, no matter what they may say behind closed doors, they do not want these semifinal games to have a conference championship-like feel to them where there are a lot of empty seats. We already know that FSU this weekend in the ACC championship in Charlotte has never been a hot ticket. And if FSU fans are forced to travel in their first game for the semifinals back to California and the Rose Bowl, where many people are probably still paying off that trip that they made last year for the national championship, I bet a lot of fans that are FSU uh, fans will just kind of hedge their bet that FSU will make it to the national championship game and they'll save their money up for their trip to Dallas. Am I too far off here, Brandon? No, I, I, I totally agree. I mean, I think that really it comes down to it comes down to that. I mean, because I, there's just there's no other like logical explanation. Uh, I mean, that's I mean th- that's it. That's this is the one argument that is kind of justifying you know the way this thing has shook out. Because I, I just I don't think you can make there's there's no rational argument to say that Florida State should be ranked number four and that TCU should be ranked number three ahead of them. It's just it doesn't make any sense. It's already pushing it that Florida State's behind Auburn and, Al- and or excuse me Alabama and Oregon, but you kind of you kind of get it in a way. You kind of see a little bit of the. I mean, even though that is still a stretch as well too. So I I, I understand 
that's the biggest fear in all this thing is that people who are behind the playoff, people who are the decision makers, that this is going to be viewed when this thing is all said and done. Not right now. They know they're going to take each of these decisions. It's when it's all said and done. If there was any, you know, if, if people can look back on it and think, yeah, that was not a good idea. Look, look what happened with with the way the the attendance figures work out. It's just this, this is not working. They want this thing to be looked back upon as something that obviously worked. So. Right now, with all this stuff going on, it seems like you know for them they're going to kind of put all their you know put put all their chips on. Let's let's get these you know let's get these good matchups and and you know and take the heat now and 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 hope that it pays off later. And you know it's I don't we'll, we'll talk more about this. I you know I I it's I think it's ridiculous. I, I you know at Florida State should not be number four. I'm more concerned though with with the idea that if Florida State does lose this weekend. That's still one loss to an 11-win Georgia Tech team that I don't think anybody in the country would want to play, and they're out. Their their season's done. I mean, and yet you're gonna have maybe you know I mean you're gonna ha- I mean you're guaranteed to have you know one loss teams in the playoff as well too. Uh, when it, you know when this whole whole thing shakes out, so Florida State's gonna be you know this is a this is a thing where if they lose, they're I mean they're out, and and it and it's kind of a shame because that Georgia Tech win. Or a, a loss, Georgia Tech. Wouldn't that be the best one loss of any team in the country? So I know it's looking ahead, but uh, it, you know, Florida State just is not in a good position here. So they have to win out. You know, they're going to be in this thing, uh, and and you know, I mean, it'd be a lot easier on people's pockets if they, you know, if you're an FSU fan, you just have to drive to New Orleans. Yeah, Mike. And when you look at this, it's not really just FSU, but I could see this shaking out in a way that, let's say, for instance, on Friday night, if Arizona were to knock off Oregon. Arizona's a pretty attractive team to put in the Rose Bowl as well, potentially, maybe even as the number three. I mean, I could see teams jump frog, leapfrogging FSU left and right, potentially. And who knows? It may not be against rational judgment to say that they may not try and put a Big Ten Pac-12 game in the semifinal in the Rose Bowl just to keep tradition and keep things kind of the way that they are and still stick FSU in at number four. But again, I think Brandon's absolutely right. There is no doubt about it. They have to win on Saturday. They lose that game. Who knows? They may fall out of the top 10 when it's all said and done when the poll comes out on Sunday. Yeah, man. I don't, I mean, I hope that's not how they're, they're planning on things, but it, you know, stranger, I guess that, that could be a possibility. Uh, certainly the three of us agree. And a lot of the talking heads uh, are starting to agree that the fact that FSU is ranked fourth is absolutely ridiculous. Um, I think we can all come to the conclusion that, we have no idea what the committee is thinking, what's going on behind those closed doors. I, if FSU lost this, this is, yeah, you're right. I mean, this is their first round of the playoff. FSU is, it's now become a three-round playoff to defend your national championship because they're undefeated at this point. They're not a strong, they're, you're right, they're not a strong number three. They're not a strong number two. They're not even number one. They're on, on the bubble. They're on the bubble. I mean, I can't believe I'm speaking those words. Uh yeah, if, if if FSU loses this game, they don't win the conference, which of course it all has to come back to a conference championship, which is the most important thing, which is a bunch of crap, um, because who knows, you know, what they're going to do with the Big 12? And God, if Mississippi State hadn't lost, I think FSU would be five. Um, to to Ole Miss last week, anyway. I think I think it would be great to play Alabama in a Sugar Bowl or to have the Sugar Bowl be FSU's first round destination should they go on and win the ACC championship. If they lose, I feel like they may fall out of the top 25. The way things have been going for them, everyone's just chomping at the bit to drop them and say, see, we told you so. All these close games against inferior opponents where they line up and they have more talent and they're better, they were bound to lose and it was bound to catch up to them sometime. And I, I don't I don't know what, 
what their basis is for putting them at number four. Again, we talked about this. It doesn't really matter as long as they're in the four and get a shot. Um, but they have a game to worry about this Saturday night at 8 o'clock. So my thought is is it could come back to ticket sales. I mean, it could come back to trying to align you know, traditional bull matchups. I think those are all uh, good possibilities. And if you're an FSU fan, what do you do? What do you plan for? Do you, it, it's hard to do in three weeks to, to plan a trip on New Year's. When, when prices to travel are already expensive. And, you know, New Orleans is a five-and-a-half-hour drive from Tallahassee, so um, straight down I-10, and, and there's plenty of hotels, and, you know, they host big events, and obviously Los Angeles, there's no shortage of places to stay and things to do. So hopefully, um, you know, so that we can take care of business on Saturday night, and uh, it'll play itself out. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely let it kind of shake out, and, you know, the plan is, as of right now, is we'll, we'll hopefully be back at some point on Sunday not only to recap the ACC championship, but uh, the bowl uh, selections where FSU lands in terms of either the semifinals or one of the other top bowls. I would, I can't imagine that they would fall down below one of the other kind of playoff but non-playoff bowls this year. And, and those games would be the Orange Bowl, uh, the Peach Bowl, uh, the Cotton Bowl, and the Fiesta Bowl. So, you know, we'll find out. We'll have to wait and see. What we do know is that Florida State, again, was tested. And I, I don't think that you can say enough about how this team has found a way to win, no matter what. And all season long, what we've really said is, hey, you know, as long as FSU has Jameis Winston, they are always in a football game. Well, that almost came back to bite them on Saturday because Winston, in my humble opinion, had probably the worst game of his career. I mean, the guy throws four interceptions. But still, FSU had the ability to come out and rely on other players. Namely, uh, it was Dalvin Cook, you know, 24 carries, 144 yards. I don't know why anybody else is even touching the football unless they just need to get this guy a, a little bit of rest. But he came in there and spelled some relief. And, and the other big thing, and you got to credit FSU's defense, is that the reason Will Muschamp is now currently unemployed and being paid $6 million to, to just watch those paychecks come in and, and be courted by SEC teams to be their defensive coordinator is because their offense is atrocious. If you want to beat FSU, if you want to beat the defending national champions on their home field, your biggest rival, you've got to capitalize on four interceptions. And Brandon, Florida just couldn't do it. Yeah, no, they couldn't. And, and you know, it, Will Washington definitely went down swinging because – the, the identity of that Florida offense, you know, under him, specific, really under him his entire career, but, you know, just, uh, especially recently with a young quarterback, uh, you know, quarterback who's, you know, he's not going to kill you with his arm. It, it would have been run first, but they're, they're out there letting Trayon Harris sling the ball around. They had opportunities in the passing game, but he couldn't hit him. Uh, you know, so they, they, they were trying. It seemed like they were trying to go for the kill shot. You know, multiple times, and they just, you know, they just didn't have the or they didn't have the talent, or, or you know, at least the the organization uh, offensively to do so. But I mean, and that's the thing. It's like you know, James Winston. You know, I'm, you know, everybody saw that stat where he, you know, zero and twenty quarterbacks were throwing, you know, the number of picks he had thrown, and then he here he comes along and he's going to get the victory. Of all people, you know, James Winston will put an end to that streak. But you know, for Florida State, it, you know, you look at it positively. Like that's a good sign. That's the first time. You know, in the last, you know, uh, you know, two, you know, two full regular seasons. Or that's the first time in two full regular seasons now where your best player has had an awful game, and you've you've kind of answered that question like, well, can anybody step up? Can anybody, you know, if Jameis Winston goes out there and lays an egg, is there going to be anybody on this team, you know, that's going to be going to be able to carry this team on his back? And 
uh, it, it's not just Jameis Winston. And I know the argument's always been, well, as long as you got him, and we, you know, I say all the time, you know, we say on this podcast, as long as you got Jameis Winston, you're going to be fine. Well, that's a great sign for Florida State that Dalvin Cook and that defense, and you, know, you, can, always retru- you, know, you can always trust the Rashad Green and Nick O'Leary. You know, if those guys are doing their thing, and, and even if, you know, Jameis is having a bad game, that's a really good sign, especially moving forward, because for, for the first time in, you know, obviously in, in the last two years, we don't know what Jameis Winston is going to be like the rest of this year. I, I, it hasn't really been talked about, but I, I honestly think that for the first time he was actually rattled about the off-field stuff in, in that game. I mean, look what he's going through right now. He's got the, the on-campus hearing is going on. That was that was a thing that was definitely happening. I, I know if I was him, if I was you know, a 19, 20-year-old guy and that was going on on campus for me, I, I wouldn't be able to concentrate. And I know he's been able to block out everything, but you can only you can only block so much. and. And yes, you give credit to Florida's defense, but I think that was definitely a factor with the way he played last week. He was he was not himself. Uh, he was off. You know, Mara Pender didn't do him you know any favors on that one that one pick. Pender just kind of quit his route. And I don't. That's a whole other topic. Is I don't know what has happened to Mario Pender. He has completely fallen off a cliff. Uh, he's getting tossed around like a rag doll out there. Every everything that was so good about him earlier in the season is is completely gone away. So count your lucky stars if you're an FSU fan that Dalvin Cook. Uh, switch that commitment from Florida to Florida State, and uh, you know this past January because he you don't win that ball game if he's not there. He's picking up the slack for both Carlos Williams and Mario Pender, and he helped counteract the fact that James Winston had his worst game of the season on Saturday. How much of it too, though, Brandon? Do you think is the fact that Jameis knew that was his last game inside of Doak, and, and maybe as much of a competitor as he is, you would have thought that that might have actually elevated his game, but that maybe in combination with the fact that he had this hearing that it, that ended today, uh, and really not knowing what's going to take place there, uh, may have all kind of congealed into this massive quandary for him of just like, man, even football really can't take me away from all of these distractions. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's no way in his mind if, you know, if in fact, and we, of course, we all think it was his last game, and we're not going to be shocked if, if in fact it was, you know, you know, he wanted to go out there and put on a show and bury the Gators and, and, you know, kind of cement himself, you know, in, in FSU lore, because he's got to be aware of that for how good he is. And, you know, may go down as, you know, probably goes down as the greatest quarterback in Florida State history. There's always going to be that asterisk. You know, there's always going to be the people that, you know, that even the true diehard that are going to have an issue with him. And you know in his mind he would have loved to close that thing out, you know, on a high note. So, you know, that, I mean, that certainly could have been a factor. He could have been overthinking things. We know, you know, multiple times this season, you know, he has, he has he, you know, he's been guilty of trying too hard. It's kind of backfired. So, uh, you know, it's, it's a tough spot to be in for him. Uh, you know, they're going to need him to play better than that on Saturday because, you know, again, you, you, know, you don't know how this thing's going to play out against Georgia Tech. No, nobody wants to play Georgia Tech. Uh, so you want to be uh, you want to be on your A game if you're Jameis Winston, and uh, you know I don't think anybody can 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 even you know kind of fathom the idea that he could string together back to back terrible games because we can't forget that a week prior against Boston College he had one of the best games of his career. So you're talking about complete opposite ends of the spectrum. Where is he going to be on Saturday night? We'll find out. Well, and Mike, when you look ahead now to this Georgia Tech team, you've got a team that really was dead to rights on their arch rivals field yet somehow found a way to win that football game. And I think that when you talk about momentum, you've got probably one of the hottest football teams in America that's coming into Charlotte. Oh, and by the way, they still run the triple option offense, which nobody runs and which isn't easy to get ready for in one week's time. And I'm not going to say that it 
that it's impossible to do. I think FSU has a huge advantage in that Charles Kelly used to have to get ready for it in some way, shape, or form every week in practice because he was seeing it. He was right there on the front lines when he was the defensive coordinator for Paul Johnson. Do you think that that's going to be a big advantage for FSU this week? Hopefully. Um, you know, it, it is tough to prepare for a team like that, uh, you know, especially a hot team who is coming off a big win against their rival on the road. I mean, Georgia is 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 pretty good. I mean, they've got it. Their defense is okay. They had that game one, allowed Georgia Tech to come back, kick a field goal, push it into overtime. I would think that Charles has a good handle. I mean, Paul Johnson, it's no secret what they're trying to do, line up and put a hat on a hat and mark up guys and, and read what the defense is doing, and that's how you run. The, the triple option. It's a, a version of a wing tee. It's a version of a zone read. And Justin Thomas can actually throw the ball if he has to. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're third, third or fourth, I think, overall in the country in total rushing yards. Obviously, that's because they run a predominantly, um, you know, power set offense. Um, but, you know, they're averaging 37 points a game, which is good for 17th in the country. Um, I, I, they're, they're, they've scored 56 points against Pitt, 35 against West Virginia, 56 against NC State. They beat Clemson pretty handily. Uh, Clemson obviously turned the ball over a couple of times. Georgia uh, Georgia Tech had a couple of pick sixes in that game. But, yeah, they're red hot. And, um, you, you know, I, I think that, that Jimbo Fisher and, and Charles Kelly and, and the defensive line and the linebackers is really – uh, what's what's going to affect the game because if, if the interior alignment can get in and disrupt things, that's not really where, where the option goes. As we know, the option goes runs to the outside and they spread the field and if they get to that second level, um, you know, we're going to have to see a lot of Reggie Northrup, a lot of Terrence Smith on a bum knee, hopefully Matthew Thomas can be out there making plays. Um, you know, they're going to have the, they're, Georgia Tech, I mean, they're, they're, their thing is to dominate the clock. They're really efficient on third down. And they score, uh, they cash in on their turnovers. I think they're fourth in the country in points uh, off a of turnover. So FSU starts turning the ball over and Jameis starts pressing like he did against Florida. I think he was trying to make a couple of things happen and he was off a little bit. And I think he kind of was, his mind had to have been somewhere else because I agree, Brandon, he made a few great points. And he just didn't look right. You know, I don't know if it was a look in his eyes or what he was seeing. You know, he wasn't reacting. He wasn't coming off of his first read a lot. And uh, yeah, Dalvin Cook and, and the defense stepped up and, and, that's that's what kind of Florida State has done all year. They have not put a complete game together all year, and it's been you know the offense picking up the defense, or the defense picking up the offense, or everybody picking up Sean McGuire when Jameis Winston was suspended for that Clemson game. It's going to come down to you know uh, discipline. These guys have to stay in their lanes. They can't over pursuit, and I think that's where Charles Kelly's expertise uh, for his you know former former um, school at Georgia Tech, where he coached a couple years ago. Uh, is probably going to be uh, a, an advantage. Um, but, you know, they're going to line up and do what they do. Brandon, let's make no mistakes about it. This Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets team uh, is definitely hot. They've won five in a row, including 28-6 to against uh, what was then number 18 Clemson. Win last week, 30-24 to in overtime against number 8 Georgia in the regular season finale. Jimbo was very Im- uh, impressed. He gave them a lot of accolades this week, said that they – uh, are playing great football on the offensive, defensive, and special team side. That it was a huge win against the floor, or the Georgia Bulldogs uh, coming into this game. Uh, he quoted as saying they they move the ball, they run it, they cause a lot of problems. The option, the dive game, the quarterback game, they're throwing the ball very well, and defensively they fly around the ball. You know, I don't know why it is, but anytime I think about the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets, and maybe it was because it was one of the first times that FSU had played them under Paul Johnson, I think of defensive players like. Cro-Magnon Bud Thacker, who thought that you could just kind of bust through the line and wreak havoc on this offense and that everything would be okay. Well, 
we saw that that wasn't the case, and it wasn't just him. Marcus Sims certainly contributed a lot to FSU losing in Atlanta. But, uh, you know, defensively, FSU, without a shadow of a doubt, has the talent that is necessary to beat Georgia Tech. I think the concern that I have, Brandon, though, going into this game is we have seen at times this season that players like Ronald Darby, Tyler Hunter, even Jalen Ramsey, as great as he has been this year, have made some fundamental mistakes which have led to huge plays. Think back to the Louisville game early in that contest. Think about the Miami game. There are times that FSU has struggled with really what we're talking about right now, basic fundamentals. Stay in your position, do what you need to do, and defend. If they don't do that this week against Georgia Tech, they're in trouble. And not only are they in trouble from a defensive standpoint, but FSU's offense will have to be nearly flawless because they won't have the opportunity to be down big and come back late. They just won't get the ball enough times. Do you agree? Oh, yeah, totally. And, you know, I think you you look at Georgia Tech, you know, the third in the country in rushing, you know, know, I mean, that's obviously that's their MO. They're going to, they put up, you know, over 330 yards a game on the ground. So you, you, you know what you're getting here. And, you know, run defense has been an, I'm, Defense as a whole has been an issue for FSU all season long. Run defense has been a problem ever since now. Lawrence Stample went down. You're not very good in the middle of the line. You know, Eddie Goldman's a superstar. Mario Jr. is a superstar, but you still need, you know, you need that Timmy Jernigan kind of player, and uh, and FSU doesn't have that. Having said that, you're coming off a game against Florida where you did, they had a pretty good outing, and, and you really got some good production uh, you know, from the Derek Mitchells of the world and, you know, Justin Shanks got some burn and there, you know, Desmond Holland had, you know, you know, so these, these kind of under the radar guys that have been liabilities all season long, you know, you're feeling pretty good if you're that unit because you're coming, you know, off a game in which, you know, Hey, remember what Florida did to Georgia, you know, on the ground. And, and, you know, so that four team can run the football and, and this FSU team was able to stop them. They, they looked really good. Now I know this is completely different. You're facing a different offense, but they've got to be, you know, it's got to help them moving forward, and it, and it's a good sign. But you, I mean, you're right. If they're not fundamental, if they don't make tackles. You know, if they let big plays happen, it, you know, it's just it's just one of those things where, you know, it, you know, this Georgia Tech team, you you cannot you cannot have mistakes because it, the way this team is coached, you give Paul Johnson credit. I mean, it seems like just uh, you know he's been on and off the hot seat, but that triple option offense continues to work for them. So. Uh, you know, it, it, I think this is going to be the toughest toughest game of the season for FSU, and I just cannot stop thinking. I'm getting sidetracked, but um, would Bud Thacker even be a walk on on this team? Well, I think back about those defenses that there that FSU had. Now, granted, Geno Hayes made it to the NFL, but I think of a lot of other players. Not only Bud Thacker, would Joe Surratt even be on this football team? No, no, no he would not. No, um, yeah, no. I we you know we could do a whole podcast series on. Um, just discussing Benjamin Lampkin as a starting defensive end. Whoa. Or, uh, you know, Whoa. Uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, one of the great, and I'll tell you this, uh, Chuko Jinnike could not have been a better person. He was great. Mm-hmm. I worked with him in the athletic department, as did you guys. But uh, he and, um, oh, what was his uh, backfield uh, teammate's name in the secondary? Corey Mangum, I believe, yeah, Corey Mangum. if, if yeah. memory oh, yeah, serves man. me correct. Those guys never should have suited up. It, 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 on a yeah. true FSU team, especially not as starters. And, and I mean, hey, that that that's rough. I get it. I, and granted, n- none of the three of us would have had the ability to step out there on the field. But that just tells you how much things dropped off at FSU that those guys were starting. 
starting for FSU at, at different points during the mid 2000s. Yeah, it's it's scary, and you know, be, being up here up here now in in Virginia and being away from the program, and I, I talk to people all the time. I I at work or just out and about, and you know, people, you know, I, this little community I live in outside of, outside of DC, people know who I am, and you know, just just from you know my family already being here and knew, you know knew that I came from Florida State, and um, yeah, I, I get questions all the time asking like, what it was like to be a student there, what was it like to you know, this one's so cool, and I have to quickly remind them that. It was cool being an employee if you were around this program because I was that employee, you know, part of you know these these good Jimbo Fisher years. I, it, my undergrad years at Florida State were seven and six seasons. We're, we're seasons, you know, when you know it, uh, just you know these lost years, and so uh, it, it it all this just has kind of cut, you know culminated. And I've just been I, I've really just been kind of sitting back and just laughing at this whole situation now because here's this Florida State program that is undefeated. It, it has strung together, you know, the first back-to-back undefeated season, regular seasons in program history. This, this storied program, all the stuff Florida State has accomplished in, in its history, everything that it's done, it had never won, you know, gone undefeated regular seasons back-to-back. It's an incredible accomplishment. And here we are as Florida State fans, and every, you know, everybody's just dying because the team is not number one. They're number four. And it's just like, I, I remember, it just seems like just yesterday, Clinging to you know, kind of, kind of in the back of my mind, thinking, is this team ever going to be good again? Like, let alone is this team going to be snubbed from being number one and being undefeated, and, and people looking down on them? And it's just amazing that you know the progress this, that this program has made, and it's it's tough to to you know because you you, you want to you get so caught up in the now, but uh, you know Jim Fisher deserves a ton of credit. Uh, we I'm sure we'll discuss it, but you know pray to the football gods that uh, the, the the wild one less miles doesn't head to Ann Arbor because. Uh, the Jimbo Fisher era has been a good one, and people want it to last for a long time. Oh, there's no doubt about that. And, and Mike, when you look at it, FSU will be making their fifth appearance in the ACC championship game Saturday night. That is tied with Virginia Tech for the most in ACC history. The Knowles won that inaugural game in 2005 as a heavy underdog. They had been blown out against teams like Clemson and Florida. I remember hearing stories about how the uh, representatives from, I think it was Jostens, were walking through the Virginia Tech uh, hotel lobby showing the players what their ACC championship rings were going to look like. And then FSU comes out uh, in large part thanks to Willie Reed and knocks off Virginia Tech en route to uh, Bowden Paterno Orange Bowl. Great game, multiple overtimes. But after FSU won that ACC championship game in 05 in Jacksonville, they didn't make it back until 2010. And I know you're going to be there in person. Uh, this week, it very well may be similar conditions to what it was in 2010, rain and cold, and FSU has an opportunity to uh, to break kind of a tie right now that exists between FSU and Virginia Tech. Each have won three championship games. Georgia Tech actually had won a game back in 2009, which was vacated by some NCAA nonsense. It, it's time to kind of put it all out there. FSU 12-0 on the season. They're fighting against the college football playoff committee. More importantly, they are focused on having to defeat what I'm going to say is the best team that they've played all season long and definitely the hottest team. Will they have enough gas? Will they have enough from their offense and their defense and their special teams to come out there and punch their ticket to the semifinals on Saturday night? Yeah, you guys covered a lot in the last couple of minutes. I, you know, bringing up some of those names, the the Joe Surratts and the Corey Mangums, I, I honestly had to jump on my phone and pull up, you know, the rosters from 06, 07, 08, because I've, I've, I mentally have blacked out of those years of Florida State. I, I, wish, I, I, wish, I wish I had done that. Oh, man, that'd be nice. Fortunately, I don't recall anything. So, because when I was an undergrad at Florida State, it was back in uh, 1998, 1999, and 2000, and I believe 
correct me if I'm wrong, we played in three straight national championship games. So um, you can take that for what That's, it's worth. I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah, that is correct. So uh, back to the, the task at hand is, is dissecting this uh, upcoming game Saturday night. Yeah, I'll be there. It's supposed to be a 80% chance of a torrential downpours. I think it's supposed to be in the low to mid-50s, so cold and wet is, is two words that should not go together. Um, yeah, I think uh, I think Florida State gets the win. I mean, they've come this far. If they would have lost, they would have lost already, right? I mean, let, let's pick out a game where they're down 21 to nothing on a road on a Thursday night, uh, come back and win that one. Let's pick out another game where, for an upcoming Miami where the line opened at the beginning of the season. I think FSU was a 21-point favorite at kickoff. I think Miami was favored by one and a half, and we'll come back and win that one. Our, our, our Heisman Trophy winning quarterback throws four interceptions, three in the first quarter. No quarterback, as you mentioned earlier, Brandon, uh, this season that's thrown four interceptions had won a game in 20 attempts, and we went ahead and won that. And so uh, I'm going to pick the Knowles here and, and go out on a limb and say that uh, they win and they're in and they get a shot at the, uh, defending their national championship. Uh, I think the, the key factor is not necessarily creating turnovers for defense, but we have to avoid turning the ball over because Georgia Tech runs that offense. They're efficient on third down, uh, and you know they can control the clock with that ground pound uh, running game and, and the triple option, and we stay disciplined, and we make some tackles. We make something happen, but I saw Georgia Tech play here. Now, granted, they're playing a lot better um, these last five weeks you know, than they were at the third week of September, but uh, they needed a fourth and 15 to convert and beat Georgia, uh, beat Virginia Tech here in Blacksburg on a last-second field goal to win 27 to 24. To be honest, I wasn't really impressed with them physically. Again, it was the third week of September, but I'm picking the Knolls. I'm gonna take. Uh, uh, I'll take a few pictures and tweet them out for you guys. And um, you know, if if you know, I've got the Samsung Galaxy, which is waterproof, thank goodness. So we'll uh, we'll go. I'm, I'm trying to think of my 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 thought about my final score earlier today because I knew you were gonna ask. Sage is four and a half. There's no way they cover, right? I mean, just with the way this season's gone. Yeah, man. I'll, I'll take uh, I'll take the Knolls close. And um, now I think they're gonna they gotta win by a touchdown. I, I'm going uh, 27 to 20. With a forecast, Brandon, of rain and cold. You typically would say that the team that runs the football better and that can control turnovers wins this football game. Uh, I, I don't have any idea about ball control from Georgia Tech outside a little bit of that game that I watched last week, and their quarterback struggled trying to run with the football, and it, it, it ended up working out for them. They won the football game. But when it comes down to FSU running the football, you've got Dalvin Cook, you've got Carlos Williams, who's probably still questionable at this point in time as to whether he'll play, and you've got Mario Pender. I don't know that I trust any of those guys other than Cook to carry the football in this game. If you need just tough yards, give it to him. Uh, we know that Nick O'Leary has a history of fumbles, mostly from acrobatic plays. But uh, if I'm Jimbo Fisher and I'm the coaching staff, knowing that the, the, the conditions are going to be what they are this weekend, I'm getting as much stick them out there as I can in these last couple of days of preparation, aren't you? Oh, heck yeah. And, and yes, I, I'm telling you right now, I'm riding Dalvin Cook. I'm, I'm riding Dalvin Cook. These next two or three, two or three games, ideally three games, but uh, these these next couple of games, you're, you're riding that guy. He he is a special special talent. Uh, he's he's the best running back on the roster, obviously. Uh, so right now it's crunch time. I mean, this is it. This is you gotta you gotta put it in the hands of your best players. And I, I honestly, I think FSC wins this game. I don't think it comes down to, the, to what Jameis and Dalvin Cook do. I think it's I think the difference is you have the experience this year of playing the triple offense already against Citadel. Uh, those defensive linemen who got their knees busted up, uh, they're going to know how to protect themselves a little better. I'm not going to say they're going to avoid 
all the issues that are going to come from those cut blocks, everything that Georgia Tech's going to do, but it's going to help. And then you got Charles Kelly, and, and Charles Kelly has been in battle all season. Enough as you fans are, uh, would, would be willing to uh, get a Kickstarter fund, you know, going to, to get Will Muschamp into Tallahassee to replace Charles Kelly. But uh, it, his and now is where he, his having him as defense coordinator is really going to pay off because he knows that defense. He was there. He understands it. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I just think I think when it comes down to it, the defense will be the difference in this one. And uh, they're coming off a really good showing. And I think that what Florida State did last week uh, should really, really help them, at least from a confidence standpoint, too. I mean, this has been a team that's been, you know, been knocked on a little bit all season long defensively. And uh, as long as you uh, you keep making plays, you're going to be in these games. And, and I think I think defense is what is what wins this one on Saturday. I'll take the Knolls 31-28. I think this one goes to overtime. Um, <laughs> I don't like. The, the thought of playing Georgia Tech any more than you guys do. Uh, but I think it's finally time to start saying it. I think this is FSU is a team of destiny after what they have gone through this year and the on the field and the off the field, really going back to two years ago. It hasn't been pretty this year, but they are undefeated. And something has to be said for that. And I think they win this game. I think, again, this one probably isn't pretty on Saturday, whether it's the weather or how the, both of the teams play. But I think FSU comes away with the victory and punches their ticket to the college football playoff. And then who knows from there where they go or, or, or better yet, who the other three teams are, because I think there could be some shakeup that takes place and it could start Friday night in the Oregon and Arizona game. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, you know that we'll have you covered next week here on the shoestring tackle podcast to break down all of that action. Before we go, guys, I want to talk about the coaching carousel just for a second. You know, probably the biggest news that has come out uh, in the last couple of days and really uh, maybe a little bit different than what we've seen in the past is the Florida Gators have been actively pursuing Colorado State head coach Jim McElwain. And if you haven't been following Mountain West football, McElwain has done a fantastic job of turning around a, a, a really poor CSU team when he got there. I mean, there's so much uh, buzz going on around here, and this is in my backyard. They're building a campus or a stadium on campus. Uh, there's uh, He's getting bigger recruits than they've ever gotten before to commit and come out here and play. But the bottom line is the guy's got a $7 million buyout on his deal. And after Florida has already paid $8 million to take care of Will Muschamp and his staff, that's a pretty tough pill to swallow to potentially be biting off $15 million. And that's before you're even talking about potentially another four, three, maybe three and a half to four and a half million dollars for Jim McElwain and then his staff. Uh, I guess the question I have for you, Brandon, is if you're going to spend that type of money, I think you can probably go out there and find coaches that pretty well guarantee you that you're going to at least be competing for, if not winning a national championship. I mean, you start talking, that's big time, big time money. Oh yeah. And obviously that's, I mean, that's, that's, that's an issue. That's the hang up because, uh, you know, I, I know, I know it seems like, you know, Florida being an sec, you know, the history there, they're just printing money, but uh, you know, the, the, this is the, the, the coaching carousel game has changed Guys aren't willing to leave. What maybe quite like they used to. You look at a guy like Hugh Freeze. I mean, he's got a good he's got a good setup. <clears throat> excuse me, uh, at, at Ole Miss, and and maybe in years past, it would have been a guy that would have been you know just kind of a no brainer. Would have would have you know been been able to been overpaid and, and gone to Florida and left Ole Miss. So uh, yeah, this is gonna be interesting to see how this thing plays out. I think everybody had already has already penciling Jim McElwain in, and who knows, maybe behind closed doors he is. Uh, but I think this thing's gonna gonna drag out a little bit longer. So we'll see. Mike, we'll see what uh, what old Jeremy Foley uh, has up his sleeve. Hey, Mike, when you look at these other couple of jobs that are open, and they're big name jobs, don't get me wrong, Michigan and Nebraska, but if Florida isn't able to get some like knockdown, drag out, awesome coach, and I'm not taking anything away from McWayne, I think that he would be uh, a star 
coming to Florida. He knows how to recruit. He's, he knows how to run a good offense. He, he'd be good. But what's going to be left for a Michigan or a Nebraska? Or is it time for those fan bases to maybe come back to reality a little bit? That you're not going to get Jim Harbaugh. You're not going to get Les Miles. You're not going to get Tom Osborne Part 2 to come back and coach. You're probably going to get a Steve Adazio. You might get a Doc Holliday. Maybe you get a Paul Johnson. But the game's changed for these teams in the Big Ten. Am I right? Yeah, you're right. You're you're right on the nose. And those guys you just mentioned are good coaches, and I don't know what the expectation levels are at those schools. I was actually pretty surprised that Nebraska let Bo Pelini go because they're they're letting him go. They're going to be a lot closer to depending on who they hire. I guess I should should preface this statement: is there there you bring in a new guy, you lose recruits, your uncertainty, you change the style of play. You know, I you 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 had a defensive guy, and then now he's gone. I, there are you closer to five and seven now at Nebraska than you were to a nine and three? I mean, really, they were two plays away from from or tackling Melvin Gorvin away from playing in the Big Ten championship game this weekend. And so I'm not necessarily sure where that are they restless? They've had they've had nine wins the last seven seasons under Pelini. I, I was kind of surprised by that move. Yeah, I think they kind of need to step back. I think Michigan has taken a, a step back and realized that they they made a mistake. Um, I don't know if even if you could say that Rich Rod was a mistake, but you know things ended ugly there. When uh, when he was there and, and they underachieved and you know, it, it wasn't a long haul, long tenure, and then bringing Brady Hook in obviously wasn't quite ready to handle that and and had some on field issues with some injuries and some other stuff and you know they changed over and they have a new athletic director up in Ann Arbor so I'd be surprised to see you know if if there weren't any guys out there that they go out and get a, a guy a solid guy who's a good coach a good X's and O's guy who has proven himself at smaller programs with limited resources and limited facilities and limited talent regionally. Um, like you mentioned, in Adazio and a holiday, and and you know whoever else it might be, those guys are good coaches. There would be a good foot, and 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 hopefully they get those programs going in the right direction. Because I mean, let's be honest, college football is a lot better when Nebraska and Michigan um, are are relevant and are and their perennial powers and their traditional powerhouses. And and you know I like watching uh, you know games at the big house or or you know under the lights in primetime in Lincoln um, because their fans show up. I think both of those schools have sold out every game for like the last 20 years or something like that so um you know i I, i'm interested to see how how it shakes out where the cards fall after florida makes their hire yeah and and i don't disagree with you at all mike i I guess brandon my my point is i think the game has changed so much now from a recruiting standpoint that it's florida texas california and the days of a team like nebraska essentially being able to build their team and their program out of homegrown talent in the state of Nebraska just isn't going to cut it anymore. And if a kid is going on a recruiting visit in mid-January or late December or even in late November during a, an actual home football game, you know, and you get off the plane in Tallahassee or Miami or Gainesville or Tuscaloosa or Columbia or Athens or Auburn or Los Angeles or Austin or College Station, I can keep going on and on, but it's exactly the same versus getting off the plane in Ann Arbor, Columbus, State College, South Bend. It's just different. And, you know, when you're talking about big time recruits, big time guys that have speed, that want to play football, want to go to the NFL, there is a huge recruiting shift that has moved now to the states of California, Texas, and Florida, not only for the programs that are there, but the talent that is in those states. Yeah, absolutely. And and the other issue, too, is that, think about it, when was the last time Nebraska was good? When was the last time Michigan was good? The, the, the kids that are recruits now, 
you know, my 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 youngest brother is a senior in high school and is it is getting co- you know uh, Ivy League coaches. He's being recruited by Ivy League coaches to come play there. He they're coming to the house. They're recruiting him. He was born in 1997. Uh, that's 19. That was that was like yesterday. You know, and and so they don't these kids now who are recruitable athletes who are going to be the people you're putting your futures in. You're hoping that are going to lead the charge of an, of a new day, a new era. You're gonna we're going to be good again. Well, they don't remember when you were good in the first place. So why are why are they going to come there? They don't have any knowledge of your program. They don't know who you are. You think you're Nebraska and you're going to bring a kid in from California or Florida or, or Texas, going to go to the middle of nowhere in Lincoln, Nebraska, uh, just on a whim? It's just not happening. You used to be able to get kids at least to come there because you had tradition, you had history. They remembered, you know, Tommy Frazier doing his thing. They remembered when, you know, Eric, even Eric Crouch, uh, you know, was you know kind of the the new age of superstar you know, kind of dual threat quarterbacks. I mean, that just, those, those recollections of those memories are nowhere in, in, you know, kind of in the, in, in the mindset of these kids who, who now are the futures of your program. And it's just, you know, I, I mean, Michigan, it, it's, it's all the same. And, you know, the, the rise of, of, you know, of, of so many programs, I mean, I mean, you know, in, in these areas, I mean, you, you have plenty of choices in California, you have plenty of choices in Texas. Look, SMU, for goodness sake, SMU's a doormat. You got Chad Morris now. You don't think Chad Morris is going to do a heck of a job there? The guy has got such strong Texas ties. He's going to go in there and he's going to start, you know, doing you know some good stuff. So, uh, you know, it's just it's it's not getting any easier by the day. So these these programs are going to be in a world of trouble. Uh, you, you need to have somebody come in that that gives you some sort of energy and at least bring you know attract a, you know two three four recruits that maybe would have never considered these places, you know, had, had they not, you know, uh, had they not hired these coaches. I might look at Scott Frost at, you know, at, at Nebraska, the, the Oregon OC. Obviously, he played there. He's, he would come in and he would at least be like, be like look, guys, hey, here, hey, recruit X, recruit Y. I, I was at Oregon. You know, you know that awesome Oregon offense? Well, we're going to run that at Nebraska. You know all about Oregon, right? Well, come to Nebraska where you're going to be the guy. We're going to lean on you. We don't have anybody else. Come play here. Don't go to Oregon. They have a ton of guys. They have a ton of people who can play these positions. We need you. And and so that's why you know these ADs they're under a lot of pressure to make these hires because if not, you're just going to be you know you're you're going to be in the same position four or five years down the road. And you're not going to be any closer. Uh, to get your program back on track. Yeah, and if you think as a coach in the Big Ten or an AD in the Big Ten that you're just going to sit back in power-eye formation for three downs and run the football, well, good luck. You're going to be on the outside looking in on all of these playoffs until they expand to eight and the Big Ten then is assured of a spot. It's just it, This is a different breed of football, and Urban Meyer is probably the closest to getting you know a team there and kind of maybe modernizing the Big Ten but it, it's just, it's very different. It's very different than, than the way that it was. And I mean, you guys are probably the closest to, to both Maryland and, and to Penn State. Uh, but even those two teams, I mean, there are ways off from being able to really truly say that they are consistent in trying to win the Big Ten, let alone trying to be a national powerhouse team. So we'll have to wait and see how it plays out. What we do know is FSU controls their own fate Saturday night, 8 o'clock, Charlotte. Mike Sage will be there in person. As he mentioned, he'll be tweeting out pictures. You can follow him all night long. Sage, Mike. You can follow Brandon and I at Brandon Meller and at Ryan Pincy throughout the weekend. And then we'll be back with you either on Sunday or on Monday to talk about not only what happened in the ACC championship game, but what impact did that have on FSU's bowl hopes, whether it's a semifinal game or potentially one of the other bowl games, as well as who are the four teams that are locked and loaded into playing in the Rose Bowl and the Sugar Bowl. Hey, we sure appreciate your download of this episode. 
We uh, hope you tell your friends and, uh, and family about it, especially those who are big FSU fans. We'll continue to talk about the Knowles during the offseason and uh, continue to talk about college football even as we move into some of the off months because National Signing Day will be here before we know it, and we know how that uh, really gets everybody's juices flowing quite a bit. Brandon Miller, Mike Sage, I'm Ryan Penty. Hope you've enjoyed this episode. Enjoy the weekend. Conference championships on the line. We'll talk to you next week.